Oh, hi. And welcome to a very special episode of Effin Hormones to mark Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I'm without the gang. Well, no Terry or Bina, but Helen is here, thank God, Hello. to hold my hand on what could be a quite emotional, but hopefully really interesting and informative episode. Later on, you're going to hear from an incredible woman who happens to be a breast cancer surgeon who got breast cancer three times. She is Dr Liz O'Reardon, and she now helps others with breast cancer, particularly those who have early-onset menopause caused by their cancer treatment. She's working with the brilliant charity Maggie's on their menopause and cancer campaign. More on that later. But first of all, Helen, thank you for joining me. I am really glad that you're here for this uh, extra special episode. Yes, it could could get emotional. I'm here to hold your hand, mate, yeah. Um, But first of all, cancer treatment and menopause is, of course, something that we've covered before on the podcast. But it's still surprising to me how many women are totally unaware that it's a thing, that it's linked, right? Yeah, I mean, I had I had a bit of an idea before we started Effing Hormones, but it wasn't really until we spoke to um, Carmel Cardona on Effing Hormones uh, a few series back. But she was a breast cancer survivor. She was very young when she had um, her treatment, only 36. And um, she'd just got married as well. Do you remember? She was in a honeymoon period. And she, she talked about the terrible impact that it had on her sex life. And nothing had been explained to her, had it? Anyway, listen, do check out Carmel's episode because she's super inspiring, so resilient, so brilliant, got lots of great stuff to inspire you with. It's called Stitch Your Parachute with Carmel Cardona. But just to go back to Maggie's, just to explain, if you don't know, they're a cancer support charity, like you said, Emma. They've got centres across the UK and they've been running workshops to help people with the menopause symptoms that cancer treatments can bring. As part of those workshops, they've been carrying out some research and asking people how much they did know about it beforehand. And a third of the people taking part said they had absolutely no idea that the cancer treatments were going to cause menopause symptoms which is a heck of a lot really isn't it when you think about it it is and it begs the question why weren't they told by their doctors who were giving them the treatment that that was another possible side effect yeah i know i think we're going to find out a bit more about that when we speak to dr dr lizzo reardon aren't we she's certainly got Mm. things to say about it but um a lot of people also said that they had they felt that it hadn't been given enough information as well which is Mm. kind of why Maggie's running these menopause workshops because they saw a need there. Good on them. And as part of the research as well, there's a lot of personal testimonies that they collected and it sounds like people have been really suffering, haven't they? Some people have been saying that the menopause symptoms are actually worse than the side effects they've been getting from the cancer treatments which is, wow. again, quite something. I mean, you can imagine, right, If you, especially if you're not prepared as well, you know, you're catapulted mm. into menopause, you're, you're already living with cancer, and if you're not aware that that's going to happen, it must be absolutely awful. So we really want to raise awareness of what Maggie's are doing and raise awareness of their work because they are absolutely brilliant, aren't they? Cause this, and, and as well, this is a subject that's close to your heart, isn't it, Emma? Yes, well, that's right. And then if you've listened to previous episodes, you'll know that my poor sister Abigail got breast cancer and passed away in 2020. And I have to say Maggie's were brilliant. They helped me with counselling because they don't just Mm -hmm. help people who are going through cancer. They actually are very good in the fact that they help families as well. So they helped me with counselling. And then after she'd passed, they helped me with um, bereavement counselling as well and had group therapy, which was really, really helpful, actually. But yeah, it's weird to think of that time when Abigail was still with us and think about the menopause side of it, really, because I know a lot of the, the research that they've done is, you know, people saying that it was almost worse than the cancer. But I I remember Abigail talking about it, but I don't remember thinking at the time, oh, this is worse than the cancer, because mm. in my mind, the cancer was just the most awful 
life-destroying thing. And the menopause mm. was like a sort of extra side effect. I mean, it was already so many side effects from chemotherapy and radiotherapy mm. and all the drugs and treatment that she was having. So menopause was, I think, in for her experience anyway, was almost a sort of side issue. Mm-hmm. But it did mean, you know, the one, the one thing that I do remember her talking about was the hot flushes. And I do remember experiencing it. And the weird thing is that, I'd say, I mean, what are the bloody chances? Well, actually, this is statistically true. One in two people probably will get cancer. My dad wow. had prostate cancer at the same time. And he was being treated for cancer. And he was having hot flushes. And it was him that introduced us to the fan. Do you remember my powerful fan that I used to use all the time? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The disco yeah. fan. Yeah, the disco fan. We were a family of four, and it was only my mum who was postmenopausal who wasn't having hot flushes. So we all wow. had fans, and if all four of us went out together, we had to make sure there was at least two fans, you know, in various people's oh, handbags or bags, you. just in case any one of us had a hot flush during that that time that we were out. And my dad used to have his name on his as well, so we all took. To put his <laughs> so on it didn't ours, get so didn't get nicked by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is I think this is the thing. I mean, you know, as as we've been talking about throughout Effing Hormones, everybody's experiences are so individual, aren't they? You know, and, and clearly that's going to be the case for this as well. But, you know, menopause, you know, whether it's surgical menopause or whether it's not, whether it's whether you're not having treatment for cancer, everyone's experiences are so different. And I, I imagine that, well, we'll find out when we speak to Dr. O'Riordan, but I imagine we'll find out, uh, you know, that that is the case. And you need to treat people as individuals, really. Absolutely. And it'd be interesting to talk to her about the whole HRT thing as well, because, you know, when Abigail was diagnosed, we're talking it was sort of back in 2016, 2017, mm. and we were a lot further behind, weren't we, in terms of us, everyone being aware about HRT and about the menopause. Mm. Mm. And she certainly would never have taken HRT, and, and she was very adamant with me that I shouldn't take HRT because she yeah. believed all the hype about the fact that it could lead to breast cancer. And the last thing she wanted was me to end up with breast cancer as well, you know. Mm, so she was very mm. protective of me and went, oh, Emma, don't even go there. And, you know, because I respected her so much and looked up to her, even though she was my younger sister, I, I actually avoided HRT for many years before I probably should have, to be honest. If I'd, if mm. I'd known now what I knew then, I could have educated Abigail as well and said, yeah, this is an old study and actually... Yeah, it might be worth looking into this a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Might have benefited her as well, really, but... Uh, Hindsight is a wonderful thing. <laughs> I know. Well, listen, lots of love to you. Lots of love to Abigail. This episode is for Abigail. We want to raise lots and lots of awareness because Abigail spent time raising lots of awareness and wrote this amazing blog, which ended up getting thousands of readers, didn't it? And she did brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant work. And we're carrying on that work, okay? Woohoo! We're doing yeah. it. Yeah. And well, it's, it's weird that we're recording this now because this week is actually, will be three years since she passed away. Oh, gosh. Wow. Well done for doing this. Mm. Yeah, well, it's important. You know, she was so adamant about raising awareness about breast cancer. She and was. Her mantra was always, feel your boobs and bits, you know. Yes, feel your boobs and bits, everyone. <laughs> That's the message of this episode, guys. <laughs> feel your bits. Well, we've had that message in a few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we have, to be fair, for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK, well, listen, mm. should we hear from Dr. Liz O'Reard and she's coming up next? Oh, let's do it. It is now time to meet our very special guest for this episode, Dr Liz O'Riordan. She is a breast cancer surgeon who, in 2015, at the age of 40, 
was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. She started blogging about her experiences of being a doctor and patient, went on to give a TED talk and penned the complete guide to breast cancer, all with the aim of helping other patients. All of this led to her being nominated for a Woman of the Year Award in 2016. Then after her cancer return in 2018, get this, she famously dressed as Mrs Incredible for her final radiotherapy treatment. She really is quite an inspiration. This summer in 2023, her breast cancer returned a third time, just around the same time that her memoir Under the Knife was being published. She's currently working with the aforementioned Maggie Centres to help women going through early onset menopause brought on by their cancer treatment. So, Dr. Liz, welcome to Effing Hormones. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here today. And can I just say, before we talk about the serious stuff, I'm a big fan of your eyewear because I followed you on Twitter for quite a while now. I'm glad to see you've turned up in some spectacular specs. My glasses cost an absolute fortune. I got them when the advance with the complete guide to breast cancer came through and my husband knew how much they were because he tried them on the week before. So, yeah, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> they are 3D printed titanium mesh. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I'm going to look up how much they cost then later. So, first of all, why was it so important for you to sort of document your journey and do all those video blogs that you did um, right from the very start, really, and talk about what you were going through? So I think when I was first diagnosed, I was in denial. I didn't find out normally. Most people get a biopsy, they get the results, they have surgery, they get the results, they, they find out everything in drip, drip feeding information. I had a normal mammogram. I looked at my ultrasound and I saw a cancer. I knew it was big. I knew I need chemo. I knew what my chance of being alive in 10 years was. I knew everything in that go. And it was like, it was happening to someone else. I was a doctor treating a patient. I wasn't the patient myself. And back in 2015, my husband was the tech guy and he said, why don't you write a blog? And writing was my way of making what was happening to me seem real. And mm. I could also tell my friends and family because my mum lived in Scotland miles away. My brother was in Switzerland. It was a way of getting it down on paper and sharing it. And at the time, there were quite a few scary blogs like, you know, slash poison burn. That's not what I want patients to feel. And I thought if I can sure. explain it without being scary, without exaggerating, I might help someone else. And there was such an incredible response from healthcare professionals and patients. I thought, oh, I can now write for the general public instead of writing for a PhD. And that led to me doing the complete guide to breast cancer because I bought 20 books written by patients. Although I was an expert surgeon, I'd never been a patient before. And I realized online how much misinformation there is out there. And doctors and nurses don't have time to tell patients about the menopause and diet and exercise and sex and all of that. And I thought if my videos can help bridge that gap, I can still be a doctor even though I had to retire. And what was the experience like being a doctor? Because I know for the rest of us, like when my sister was diagnosed, I mean, we all had to suddenly become experts and there is yeah. so much information to learn and it's so terrifying to just start learning it. But for you, did that make it easier? Did it make you more level-headed that you had all the information or was it almost worse? I think it was 50-50. It was worse for me because I've looked after women who've died of metastatic breast cancer. And it was very hard not to picture myself in their shoes in the years ahead. Mm. It was hard for my surgeon because she was a friend and a mentor and she wasn't sure she could. Well, she said, I can't treat you and still be your friend. We have to stop seeing each other outside of work so I can treat you. And doctors didn't know how to handle me. When you get a consultant breast surgeon come in through A&E with neutropenic sepsis, it's like, oh my God, I don't know what to say. We, they assume you know everything and you don't. 
and I hated mm. not being in control. I wanted to tell my surgeon what stitches to use and where to put the drain. He was like, stop it. So it was, it was <laughs> yeah. quite scary realizing I didn't actually know what was happening to me. Now, we, we talk about hormones a lot on this podcast for obvious reasons. Uh, it's mainly about the menopause, but we wanted to do this special episode for um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And, yeah. you know, my Abigail always talked about how her cancer fed on estrogen. And I think for a lot of people mm-hmm. won't really understand that. So why some cancers feed on estrogen, some cancers feed on other things. Can you just explain it in sort of layman terms for us, really? Yeah, sure. So there are lots of ways to categorise breast cancer, but the commonest is what receptors they have on their surface. And all breast cancer cells can have one of three receptors, and that's estrogen, progesterone, and herceptin. Oh, it's called HER2. Mm-hmm. of breast cancers overexpress the estrogen receptor. And that means that if there's estrogen in the body, it will stimulate those cells to grow and divide. So even though surgery has removed the breast cancer, there's still the chance there are cells sleeping in your blood, just waiting to find a friend and wake up years down the line. So we give you treatments to stop you producing estrogen or stop cells attaching to it to reduce the risk of it coming back. But why is it that women you know, do go through early onset menopause if they're having cancer treatment? What is it about the chemotherapy or whatever else they're having that makes menopause suddenly appear? So if you're having chemotherapy, that targets cells that are fast growing, quickly dividing. And that's why you get the side effects of your hair, your nails, your skin. But it also targets your ovaries because they are producing cells every month. So the closer you are to the natural menopause, the more likely you are for your ovaries to switch off and maybe not recover after chemo. So anyone having chemo is thrown into an instant menopause because your ovaries stop working, they stop producing estrogen. If you are being given hormone blockers like tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor, they either stop your breast cancer cells um, absorbing estrogen, so the level in your blood drops to about 70% of what it would be. On the aromatase inhibitors, you stop making it at all. So you are suddenly menopausal and it happens within two to three weeks instead of two to three years of a natural menopause. So it's like one big hit, bang, you wake Mm. up, crazy, sweaty, irritable, you can't forget, everything hurts. It's really hard. And according to this research that, that Maggie's have done, you know, it's mm. it, it comes as a shock to most women, isn't it, who, who are going through the treatment. Yeah. And some of them have even said, this is worse yeah. you know, than, than the cancer in a way. Is that your experience from people Completely. you've spoken to as well? I'll be honest, as a breast surgeon, I had no training in how to help treat women with the symptoms of the drugs, how to help with the menopause. It wasn't my job. I had no idea what to do. I assumed GPs were doing it. I would tell them, here's a leaflet from breast cancer now. You might get some hot flushes, a bit of vaginal dryness. Off you go. See you in five years. And then I was made instantly menopausal through chemo, through tamoxifen and Zolodex. And I realised this is not a bit of hot flushes. I thought I'd wet myself when I had a night sweat, dripping in sweat, aches and pains, just horrific. The vaginal dryness, the loss of libido, I wasn't myself. I had no idea where to go for help. I didn't know who to talk to because if I didn't know how to treat it, my GP wasn't going to. And when I started talking about it, I got hundreds of letters and emails from women all over the world saying, we don't know where to go for help. We don't know what to do. And that's why Maggie's saying, look, this is happening. We need to help women and men right from the offset to say, this is what to expect. This is how we can help you. Because anecdotally, up to half of women don't take their tablets regularly because they make them feel so shit. So uh, one of our previous guests on a, a previous series of Effin Hormones, a fabulous woman called Carmel Cardona, um, told her, her story of early onset menopause due to 
treatment for cancer. She was only 36 and she had literally mm. just got married, hadn't she, Emma? She was literally Ooh. in her honeymoon period. And and she is now doing a PhD on the impact um, that uh, cancer treatments have on, on your libido, on your sex life, mm. um, and is doing great work in that area. Really opened our eyes, didn't she, Emma? And, yeah. and she described this doctor sort of, she could see the list of, of symptoms in front of him from the, the menopausal symptoms yeah. and libido was on there and he read her, he skipped over it because he was too embarrassed to say to her. I get that. I never talked about my patients with sex through all of my training. I never heard any of my bosses say it. I never said it. I didn't realise how big an issue it was. And mm. it's now the thing I spent most of lockdown talking about. But interestingly, and I can't remember, there is a new drug being trialled in the States to help with libido that isn't hormonal. So watch this space. But when mm. you're dealing with the psychology of cancer, you know, I wouldn't let my husband see me naked for six months because I hated my mastectomy scar. You're dealing with your body image. And then... Mm trying to make them understand it's not that I don't fancy you or find you attractive I have no sex hormones I have no libido I don't want sex I don't get physically turned on the way I used to do it's Mm. not that I don't like you and I was 40 and newly married but women in their 20s and 30s who are single who are trying to date it is really really hard well that was gonna be one of my questions like how much training you did on the menopause and it's guess not a lot then really was there you know in terms of no you being a surgeon gosh there's there's nothing and it's getting better. Maggie's are helping. There are oncologists who are trying to spread the word and say there are lots of alternatives to it. I'm speaking to Elise Mukherjee, who's a professor endocrinologist who's had breast cancer herself mm. on my new podcast. And so now I've got breast cancer telling women how to help. And often it's the boring things like exercise and sleep hygiene and eating sensibly that can help with all the symptoms and reduce the risk of cancer recurrence. But most of us just want a quick pill. You want something easy and simple that's going to work. Well, talking of quick pills or gels or patches or whatever, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about HRT a little bit. Is okay. it just a no-go? Can people who are going through that sort of treatment not because because they feed on estrogen, so you wouldn't want to give your body more estrogen? Can they not take HRT? This is a really controversial issue. So the, the, the national guidelines yeah. from every international cancer charity says that HRT should be a last resort for anyone with ER-positive breast cancer. That is because... Giving your body estrogen could stimulate breast cancer cells. We now know there are lots of alternative drugs that you can have to help with the hot flushes. There are lots of things we can do to help. Vaginal estrogen is safe, but systemic HRT and patches should be a no-go unless you've tried everything and you are still desperate and your quality of life isn't worth it. There are doctors who believe that it's safe and they are looking at outdated evidence, but it does increase the risk of recurrence in the trials that we have. However, I think it does need to be a woman's choice. So what's ER breast cancer? So ER positive breast cancer, it's breast cancer cells that overexpress estrogen. It's American, so we go ER for estrogen without the O in front. Okay, fair enough. The thing with triple negative breast cancer is when your breast cancer comes back in the future, it can mutate and those cells can suddenly start producing estrogen receptors. So there's a risk that if you give HRT to someone who doesn't have estrogen receptors, it could come back and you could be stimulating it. So HRT is off the table unless you tried everything you're desperate. But that's different to vaginal estrogen. Yeah, because we've mentioned this on the podcast quite a few times before, actually, uh, vaginal dryness for vaginal atrophy, that yeah. actually this might be something that you know people have told us this might be something that, that they could consider. Yeah. So I'd say two things to help. The first is lube. And I think every girl should, every person when they get to the age of having sex should be told lube is good for you. It's fun. You should use it. It makes things far better. 
There are two lubricants that I recommend. One is Yes and one is Sutil, S-U-T-I-L. They don't have parabens or chemicals or glycerin in. They're not going to cause thrush. They are great. Don't get anything off the shelf in boots or your super drug. Seriously, you want something that's not going to give you thrush or irritate your vagina. We should all be using them. Sam Talk Sex on her website, Joe Divine, also sells them. They are, everyone should be using lube. Yes, also do an internal vaginal moisturizer that you can use two or three times a week, which is really, really good at helping because you also get cystitis. I used to get labial skin tears when I was cycling because it was so bad. Coming on to vaginal estrogen, and I was discussing this at a conference earlier today, as a doctor, I would never, ever, ever prescribe it because I was so scared about breast cancer coming back. But we know it can come back in a third of women who have every single treatment we have known to man. We know two thirds of women don't get a recurrence. And we know that things that can halve your risk of recurrence are cutting down alcohol, exercising regularly and staying a healthy weight and we don't tell women to do that and you can go out and drink alcohol which causes cancer or buy cigarettes which cause lung cancer and the amount of vaginal estrogen absorbed is tiny a year's worth of vaginal estrogen is the same as one hrt tablet it is Mm -hmm. tiny it is absorbed locally into the vagina very little hits the bloodstream yet doctors are so scared of causing that one recurrence and Mm -hmm. i've had women going around in circles to the gp says go to the surgeon who says go to the oncologist there are studies that now say and international guidelines saying it should be safe for anyone take tamoxifen because trials have shown that it doesn't increase the risk of recurrence we don't have the data for women who are taking an aromatase inhibitor but i say it should be a woman's choice If she wants to accept a tiny, tiny, tiny increased risk of her breast cancer coming back, but she's exercising, she's not drinking a lot, it's her quality of life, then she should be able to have it. And I think doctors need to stop saying, no, you can't, because we're not living with it. Because I think the point is, you've still got to live your life, no matter how many years you might yes. have got left. What is there any point in living a really miserable life? When... Sex is a basic human need. You know, yes, there are other forms of intimacy, but penetration is often a really important part of sex for couples. And it's not going to happen without help. And I think mm. vaginal estrogen should be given to anybody who wants it. It's so good to get this level of detail from me, Liz. Thank you. And we should probably talk about the fact that a lot of people, you know, didn't take HRT for a number of years, myself included, yeah. because of the whole hoo-ha about breast cancer and being scared of getting it. What What's your take on yeah. that now? We're several years down the line from that original study that sparked it all off. I think the current evidence is that it's fine if you take the pill or HRT for five to ten years that you're not at any real increased risk of getting breast cancer. Most of the time it's just bad luck being a woman and getting older. If you're taking either of those for more than ten years, it does increase your risk. But you can drop that by exercising and not drinking a lot of alcohol and trying to maintain a healthy weight. And it's lifestyle and quality of life. One in seven women get breast cancer, but six in seven women don't. And if you need it, then I think it's absolutely fine to take it, but you shouldn't be on it for life. I always feel bad because Abigail was, uh, you know, had read the original study and was just adamant that yeah. I should never take it and just kept telling me, don't take it, Emma. You know, she's just the worst thing in her mind was for me to get breast cancer as well. Yeah. So, she, so I just listened to her and went, okay, I won't take it. Then I won't take it. And I suffered for years and I kind of wish I had got more information at the time yeah and it, it's a great drug for a lot of people what is scary at the minute is that people are wrongly saying that hrt stops you getting dementia or it stops you getting heart disease there's no evidence to show this and i've got so many women with breast cancer terrified they're going to die of dementia because they can't have hrt and it's not true <sighs> hrt is only licensed to treat menopausal symptoms 
So let's talk about Maggie's then and the, and the menopause um, mm. support they've been offering because it sounds like it's really needed. It is. Doctors don't have time. We get 10 minutes to tell someone they've got breast cancer, talk about surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, plan pre-assessment appointments. We don't have the time. Mm. We then see patients at a year where you sat in that clinic waiting and you see everyone's running late and I've got a load of questions, but I'll just go in and leave and it's fine. We don't know who to bother. And I think if every patient could be told, once you've had your diagnosis, go home via Maggie's centres if you have one. And if you don't, they can do it virtually and get someone to tell you in a calm, safe space, this is how we can help. This is what you can do to sleep better at night or to help the brain fog work or to help with the aches and pains. You are going to get these symptoms and help is available rather than suffering in silence. And how are they doing it? Is it courses or is it, you know, one-to-one counselling or, yeah? They've got courses. I think there is some one-to-one counselling available. And if you don't have one near you, like I don't, you can do it online. You can do it virtually. And it's free and it's available for anybody who needs it. It's just getting the word out there that this incredible resource is there. And they can bridge that gap that the doctors and nurses don't have time to do. Well, when I did my, I did grieving counselling group, group therapy with them. And of course it was during COVID. So all of it was online anyway. So uh, yeah. we just used to all gather around Zoom or whatever the other one was called and uh, just chat to people. They could have been anywhere in the world really, but it was really, really beneficial just to jump online and talk to other people who were going through a similar thing, to be honest. And I think that's it. Group counselling tells you you're not alone. Every other woman is feeling this and they'll all have their own little tips and tricks. Like someone told me to get a chill pillow that's always cold when you're having a hot flush. Or we use separate duvets. My husband and I have our own duvet so I can have a cold one and he can have a warm one and it's no longer ending up on the bed when I'm corkscrewing. Just little things like that that your doctor might not know. Have you got one of those chill sheets as well? You can get whole sheets, can't you? As well as the No, I haven't at the moment. <laughs> You're um, an expert in this department, aren't you, Emma? <laughs> <laughs> Someone told me to sleep in um, running sportswear because it wicks the sweat, but I hate that I just sleep naked and I yeah, just accept no, I'm that, a sweaty mess. Yeah. But mattress protectors. When I changed my bed after a month, the sweat stains on my mattress were disgusting (laughs) so yeah mattress and pillow protectors yes there's still these things to think about aren't there Good I know, God. I know. Mm. Well, it's fantastic that Maggie's are doing this, and and uh, because we yeah. found with uh, our podcast that actually that sense of community and just realizing that you aren't alone is the biggest thing. Because we can't solve each other's problems, but we can talk no. about them and we can share and we can have a bit of a laugh. Sometimes we we can't often do a lot of swearing, Liz. If, if you listen to oh, the I'm all swearing. And... <laughs> Good. More of it, yes. You know, and it just just knowing you're not alone makes you feel better, doesn't it? And I think if you're in a group of women going through a similar situation, you are ready to open up about your experiences. You might not tell that to your GP or your breast cancer nurse. You don't want to bother them. Mm. And I think this is why it's such a brilliant resource. We started off Effin Hormones a couple of years ago knowing absolutely nothing about perimenopause. And the reason why we started it was because our mums hadn't spoken to us about it. We had these mad symptoms and we were like what's going on and you know we're a couple of years down the line now I feel we all feel a lot more informed a lot more empowered because of that but um you know yes you're absolutely right it there comes a point where you just have to try and empower yourself by educating yourself as much as you can without kind of going too mad about it does yeah that make sense? and like it does completely it's like I now know why mum went shopping every day to open up the freezer aisle in the supermarket to cool down <laughs> but it it almost feels like mm. the menopause has become the latest cash cow there are man- menopause shampoos and menopause mm. skincare and mm. actually none of it's needed you just need to live a healthy life as long as you can it, and it's like everyone's getting in on the on the bandwagon 
And I think that mm. creates a real divide against the women who can't have HRT and are forced into an early menopause who feel I'm 20, mm. no one's talking for me. Mm. It's really interesting seeing it from the other side of the, the very young cancer patients. Yeah, no, you're right. It has has become commercialised just literally mm. in the last two or three years, hasn't it? There are so many more yeah. products out there. We missed that boat, didn't we? We should have launched loads of products. I know, we should have. Yes, you know, you could be... <laughs> But I think it's great we're all talking about it. It it is it happens to us all. The thing I found really hard was my brain not working properly. Oh yeah. Well, we've just been talking about brain fog. Oh. Yeah, Helen turned up to a lunch date a, a week early. A week early. And I shoplifted from my local supermarket this week by mistake, but I did go back. <laughs> no, you put the milk in the cupboard and the marmite in the oven. I used to be able to yeah. see 10 patients in the clinic and write the notes at the end of the day. It's like, yeah, no, I can't remember my name wow. if I wrote it down. Just, Crikey, I oh, could never have done that. I'm impressed. Sometimes my my girlfriend's ten years younger than me, so she's uh-huh. she's, she's very well informed for when it happens. <laughs> she caught me yesterday. She was like, "Are you writing down everything I'm saying?" I'm like, "Yes, because I'll forget it otherwise. I, my brain can't function." <laughs> it's bad enough at home, but when you're at work, you're like, "I'm on a conference call. It's like, can you email me everything you've said? Because I will not remember it. My brain just doesn't work." Yeah, it is. It's rubbish, especially if you, you, you know, because we, we've all had, had careers, you know, we've all worked. Yeah. And yeah. You're just used to operating in this particular way. And when it first starts happening, it's absolutely horrific, isn't it? Uh, I, I mean, I used to sort of it was almost like I could visualize my sentences like running away from me, you know. Heart, yes. I, but it, it's a lot better now. It, I've done a lot of the lifestyle things that you've been talking about. But um, nowadays I've, I'm I'm I actually just try and go, oh, brain fog, menopause or brain fog, because I just yeah. don't care what people think anymore. It's bad when you're actually, because I'm, I'm a broadcaster as well, it's bad when you're on air and it's live and you can't think of a word for something. Oh, and you God. Sound like an I get that. I'll call, can... I'll call a pen a potato and ask my husband to pass me the potato. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That, that thing. I can't remember the name. Oh, man alive. It's good to laugh about it, though, as well, isn't it? Because you have, you have to. to. And I, you have to. I think it's accepting this is happening to you and you cannot change it and you cannot fight it. All you can do is live with it and learn how to cope. On the vein of um, having a laugh about it as well, I have one question that I've written down is um, basically tell us about the googly eyes. So... About 2017, 2018, there was a thing on Twitter on Fridays when doctors would stick little googly eyes onto light switches and computers and laptops for people to find on Friday. I thought it was hysterical. And when I had my first local recurrence, I thought, right, I'm going to put googly eyes on my boob to make my surgeon laugh. And then I put them above my belly button when I had my ovaries out laparoscopically. And then when I had my, my second local recurrence surgery, I put googly eyes above the scar. I've worked with the people who were operating on me, so it's really hard for them because it's one of their own. I thought this will just help break the ice. So yeah, googly eyes oh, everywhere. Fantastic. And did it and did they appreciate it? I hope they did. Yes, they did. Yeah. It's like get the boss to come through before we scrub because she's done a surprise for you. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to see the funny side. You really do. You have, you have. And how did the Mrs. Incredible outfit go down then? Did that go down well as well. Yeah, so that all started. Um, I got called Mrs. Incredible during my first cancer treatment by a diabetologist. And I got my husband and I the outfits and he refused to wear it in public. And I thought, fuck it, it's my last second round of radiotherapy. It's my last treatment. I'm going to wear this. Otherwise, it's going to never get seen. And I got changed in Addenbrooke's car park in my car. And it's a long walk through the hospital concourse all the way to radiology. <laughs> Nobody batted an eyelid. This was apparently oh. completely normal outfit for someone to wear and I was sat waiting for radiotherapy nobody said a thing no one said a thing 
The team loved it. And then I recently, I did a tandem ride with my husband wearing our outfits to raise money for the local hospice because they gave me bereavement counselling. So it is still going. But you've got to have something for fun, haven't you? Oh, good on you. Fantastic. Before we go, any other, I know you talked about lifestyle a bit, but any other tips for people who are going through you know, early onset menopause because of cancer? Any other tips that you would I think say? it's knowing you're not alone and there is help available. The British Menopause Society has some excellent information, as do Maggie's. It's just reach out and don't suffer in silence and keep knocking on that door and keep saying, I want to have vaginal estrogen. I accept you think there may be a risk, but it's my body. It's my life. Sex is a basic human need and I want it. And Liz, I just wanted to ask you quickly, because you've got your own podcast, haven't you? Did you want to uh, tell us about that? Oh, thank you very much. It's launching out tomorrow, actually. It's called So Now I've Got Breast Cancer. And what I'm doing is answering listeners' questions, which I play out on the show or read, with guests talking about sex, menopause, body image, psychologically how you cope, just as another way of giving people information, because some like to read, some like to watch, some like to listen. And I love listening to podcasts. I binge them now. Yeah, Fabulous. It's perfect thing to do on a dog walk, I find. And we can definitely both both me and Helen have listened in the last week. Liz is very good on her podcast as oh, well. Very thank good. You. We recommend. Likewise yours. I've learned a lot listening. Have you? <laughs> good. Yeah. I have to spy on the people talking to me. <laughs> oh yeah, good. Quite right. Um, and finally, is there still a topless statue of you in a park in Bury St Edmunds? No longer. It's now in the <laughs> library of the West Suffolk Hospital. Oh, is it? They moved it. Okay. Yes. So that came about. There are more statues of goats than there are of women in the UK. What? What? I've never seen a statue of a goat. Where are they all? No, I hadn't either. There are more statues of men named John than there are of women in the UK. So a charity, I think it's called 101, asked people to nominate inspirational women. And we were made into one foot high 3D printed statues. So I'm there in my scrubs. I'm topless with my bicycle helmet and my triathlon medal. Yeah, it's Amazing. a bit surreal. I know. But quite cool. Just- well... In Manchester, we, we we proudly have our Emmeline Pankhurst statue. I remember how much of a big yes. deal that was when that got got put up. It took yes. 100 years to get a statue of women. The last one I was know. Queen Victoria, obviously. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? I'm very glad that you've got yours. That's fabulous. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you so much for being so inspiring and giving so much information to so many other women who are going through you know, a doubly horrendous time in their lives. So a massive thank you to you for all the work that you've done and for chatting to us tonight as well. Oh, you're welcome. It was great fun. Thank you. I didn't swear too much. No, not enough. <laughs> we love swearing. We, we, think, we think it's entirely appropriate. <laughs> A massive thank you to the wonderful Dr Liz O'Reardon. Normal service will be resumed soon and Effin Hormones will be back with all four of us in just a few weeks' time. On the next episode, you'll be hearing from Dr Stacey Sims. She's an exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist. Yes, Get ready to get physical. Physical, physical. Get right, Olivia Newton John. All right. <laughs> so until next time, take care. And Abigail would never forgive me if I didn't use this opportunity to remind you again: check your boobs and bits. <laughs> check your boobs and bits. Bye, everyone. Bye. See ya.